Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'll, I'll give another update, uh, but even even talk a little bit more about where some of our money is going. We have uh, missionaries that, that are just that just got sent out. Uh, you may not even, not even be aware of, right? But because we're part of a larger church and network of churches that we have missionaries that go out uh, that are being sent out, you wouldn't even you wouldn't even know who they are. But if you gave money, that some of your money uh, is go to support them, and so that's uh, I think it's always encouraging to hear stories about that. So white elephant Christmas. If you've ever uh, participated in a white elephant thing, right? And my wife's family, we do it every year. Uh, and it's always, there's actually a white elephant that they, they give out. It's gone around since, you know, longer than I've been in the family. So more than, you know, 12 years that I've been around. But there's always actually a white elephant and that, that gets gifted in the white elephant exchange. Uh, and it's always, it always can be ridiculous. Some, some gifts are dumb and they end up, you know, just going in the garbage can. Uh, or you try to just hide it in the house that you had the, the, you know, did the exchange at. Uh, maybe think of Michael Scott, right, uh, from the office where he gives an iPod, right, or iPad or something that's really expensive. Normally we don't do that, right? Normally it's just garbage that we, that we try to get rid of, uh, in that. But what's interesting though is actually the history, uh, behind a white elephant. Christmas, and it's, it's, uh, very devious, uh, which I think is just fun. It's just kind of cool how, and it's, and it's a legend. It's, there's a lot of websites, a lot of different things, but I, it, it, everyone said the legend. So I don't know how true it is, but, um, what it, what it comes from is this idea of a, a literal white elephant. <laughs> All right. And, uh, over in Thailand, so the king of Siam, uh, actually, uh, that the, they are, they were viewed as these religious, um, sacred animals. And so they were not allowed to be trained to do any kind of work. Uh, they had to be taken care of and they were, you know, very special creatures and animals. And so what the king of Siam would do that if somebody made him mad, he would gift them and their family a white elephant. So the whole purpose of it was now I have to take care of this giant animal that is worthless, right? So, so the king would do it just to spite people that he didn't like. He would gift them these sacred animals so that they were required of the financial burden. It was this gift, right? It was all oh, this special thing. You were given this thing by the king, but then you had this, you were stuck with it. You couldn't gift it away, right? You couldn't re-gift it. Uh, it's a white elephant, right? Who wants a white elephant that, that you have to take care of? And so that's kind of the history. And, it, and then it kind of just spun into exactly what it is what it is today of just junk that I don't want or I don't need. Uh, every once in a while you get lucky uh, and you can actually use something. I remember a couple of years ago, I gave away like a eight DVD set of like a systematic theology lecture um, that I didn't need anymore. Um, so I don't know what happened to them, if they ever listened to them or not. So um, anyways, that, that's the idea of White Elephant Christmas. And, and the reason why we're, we're doing this for the next four weeks of looking at kind of unmet expectations, that over the holiday season, we have these expectations that I'm going to be with family, I'm going to be with loved ones, we're going to have a good time, and then it's just awkward, right? Or there's fighting, or maybe even uh, we, were, we were talking with just some people on staff, and, and even just the other way around of thinking it's going to be terrible, and you have really low expectations, then it ends up being like, oh, that was actually okay, we actually didn't have conflict this time. And so a lot of times when we look at Christmas, it's just this idea of expectations and what to expect and what not to expect. And so we, we have in our mind this, this thing that we want for Christmas, and maybe it's actually not going to come true. And so today specifically, I want to look at the idea of, of peace. That I think we all want peace. We want to have some uh, calm and be free of anxiety 
And yet what usually happens within our culture, especially around the holidays, is that just gets amped up. Uh, we've got friends and family coming over. I've got to provide the meal, whatever it may be. And it just gets stressful uh, rather than peace. And so I want to look at uh, what, does, what does our culture tell us about how to find peace? And it's actually very, very interesting that if you just Google, how do I find peace, right? There's going to be a lot of things that will come up. Uh, well, it's interesting that that came up. One of the first websites that comes up um, is overcoming fear and anxiety with these helpful tips. And, and they quote the Lion King, Hakuna Matata, uh, right? Like that's just, just don't worry about it, right? It means no worries for the rest of your days, right? Yeah, your, your uncle just killed your dad and he's trying to kill you. Just don't worry about it, man. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Uh, Hakuna Matata, right? And, but then what's interesting, the website is right after the Lion King is quoted, uh, Charles Spurgeon is quoted, right? And so, and Charles Spurgeon, just an old dead pastor, right? But he, he, wrote, he wrote this on there, anxiety uh, does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strength, right? And so it just, the, 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 hey, Hakuna Matata, Charles Spurgeon, sure, whatever makes you feel good, let's just relax, don't worry about it, don't get stressed out. Uh, there was several others on there. I know one of them said, believe the truth that you are safe and loved, <laughs> which that sounds good and sounds warm and fuzzy, but the truth is not everyone is safe, right? That there are people in difficult situations that don't feel safe, that don't feel loved. And so it's just, oh yeah, just, just, just find your happy place. And that's not always possible. And so even though for us, even though we might be entering into a stressful situation where it doesn't feel like there's peace, how can we find peace in, in, our, in our Lord and Savior? And so I want to look at this idea of where does our desire for conflict-free world uh, come from anyway? And so looking at, I just want to walk through some passages. We're going to kind of bookend it, Genesis and Revelation, and look at this idea of peace in the Bible and what Jesus has to say about it. So just the idea that we were designed for peace, that we were created to have peace and beautiful harmony between humanity and each other and the world and natural and nature uh, and, and men and women and with humankind and God, that we were designed to have harmony. And that was completely ripped, but we were made this way. And so in Genesis chapter one, it says this, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And in the context there, uh, that uh, God brings all the animals in front of Adam and he sees all these couples of these animals together. And he's going, hmm, this doesn't, I, I'm alone. I'm not completed here uh, when it comes to, uh, I don't have somebody that, that's with me. And so that's where, where verse 18 says there. In verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. These are verses that I often uh, recite or, or read when I go, when I perform a wedding. Just the idea of being naked and no shame. Uh, that it's not just physical nakedness, for sure. That's, that was part of it because uh, we can see that God closed them after they sin. Uh, but... More than that is just the emotional, intellectual nakedness, right? Of just complete, here's what I think, here's what I want to say, and I'm going to say it. I don't need to hide anything from you. This is who I really am. And there's no shame. And that's how we were designed, and that's how we were created. But we are subjected to this idea of strife and conflict because of the fall. 
And so when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. And, and last week, looking at this idea of that we're never more like Satan than when we say mine, right? This is me and this is mine and, and I own this thing. And that's exactly what happens with Eve and Adam is they're there and they say, oh, I can be like God. I, this is about me and my will, not God. And so she sees this food is desirable for gaining wisdom. And she took some of it and ate it. And she also gave some to her, her passive husband uh, who's standing right next to her, who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking the garden, the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to them and called to the man, where are you? And this is one of the most fascinating things about the Bible that, that I think our culture has completely missed is the Bible is not about me finding God. I just need to find Jesus or I did this thing and I found Jesus. The Bible has always been in the first instance of God going after humanity after sin is God coming to them. And God saying, here's who I am. Here's what I have done for you. Where are you? And he, that is Adam, answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. And so then there's this curse that happens to the woman. He said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe, right? And this isn't just labor, which that obviously happens. I know there's been several women who have uh, given uh, birth and there's one currently in the hospital right now in labor, all right? And so just to say, well, that, that's, that's bad. But the thing is, it's, it's the pains of childbearing. It, can I get pregnant? Will I get pregnant? Do I wanna get pregnant? Uh, and then while I'm pregnant, is this child gonna be healthy? Uh, and it just, it just never goes away. This stress and anxiety of childbearing that as a man, I simply have no idea what that's like. I don't. Uh, I've been there, done that, right? Uh, the labor for me is very different than what it was for my wife, right? But then he says, uh, God says to Eve, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And this isn't a good desire. Uh, this is a negative thing that I'm gonna, I'm gonna rule and you're gonna rule and we're just gonna go you and me and then you and then me over and over and over till the end of time. That it's all gonna be about me and mine and you are now my possession. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree, which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. And what's interesting, we're not necessarily doing a, a theology here on, on, on the fall, but, but God creates work and work is a good thing. He gives Adam and Eve jobs to do and to work. And that's a good thing that we were created. That was before the fall. But after the fall, it changes from work to toil. And there's something that drastically changes that no longer am I gonna be doing something to work. It's gonna be hard, toilsome labor and work. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat of the plants of the field and by the sweat of your brow, you will eat of the food and you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will return. But the thing is, we, we long to be back in that garden, what theologians call echoes of Eden. And it's echoes of Eden are all around us, all around our culture, that people want things, they hear things, they say things, uh, watch, read any book or any movie that we want peace on earth. 
Right? We want things to be happy without anxiety because that's how we were designed. We were designed and created to not have those things. So Genesis chapter three, verse 23 says, the Lord God banished them from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed at the east side of the garden of Eden, cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Now we long for that. We wanna go back to that peaceful aspect that we were created to be, and it will be that way. We long for this. And, and again, we're not there yet, but someday everything's gonna be made right again. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now with the people and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He's going to walk with his people again in the cool of the day. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. In the last chapter of the Bible, so just two, two bookends. And when the angel showed me the river, the water of life is clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. So here's this tree of life again, bringing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. And no longer will there be any more curse. And so we see these echoes of Eden that's going to be realized. It's going to be made good and made right again someday, but we're not there. So what do we do in the meantime? Uh, I want to talk a little bit about peace. This was just, uh, this was at Friday night. Uh, my family, we went over to uh, Sam's Christmas Village in Somerset. Anyone ever been there before? Uh, it was actually really fun. And there was 8.5 million Christmas lights. Uh, they, they made sure you knew that uh, multiple times and you got it. It was really, it was really, really cool though. I uh, had a good time doing that. And we're walking around. And, and one of the things that, that I saw, uh, and I'm a, I'm a pastor. It's like, you, I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll take a picture of that and I'll use that in my sermon, <laughs> right? Is that, that there's this globe, right? Uh, peace on earth. And it's really big. It's hard to see how big this thing is. But uh, I love how huge the Panama Canal got uh, in this. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Geographically, that doesn't seem accurate, but, um, right? And if we think about how many Christmas songs are there that are about peace on earth, right? And goodwill toward men. And, and that's exactly what happens that when Jesus is born and the, and, and, the, and the angels go to the shepherds and it says, peace will be on earth, right? To all men who put their faith in him. And so this idea of being peace, now we're gonna be with Jesus, that he is our prince of peace and he will be called the prince of peace. So how do we then look at this idea of peace and peace on earth? How do we achieve that? How is Jesus our Prince of Peace here now, right? In the fallen world. How do we see this Prince that is full of peace, that desires to give us his peace? And so I want to look at John chapter 14, but I want to think about uh, just how Jesus offers his peace, not just to his disciples, but to the world. Um, every time I think about peace, this is a weird, deep cut of a, of a movie, but uh, Independence Day, which is funny because Independence Day is not about Independence Day. It's about aliens. You know what I mean? It's like a, it's one of those weird, you know, the independence of, of, the, of the globe against an evil alien race. I don't know. So, um, but there's this scene though, and, it, and this probably doesn't even make any sense, but I think about this when I think about peace, that um, they've captured one of these aliens and the aliens, you know, they, they work telekinetically, is that right? They can, and so it ends up wrapping one of its tentacles around a scientist and speaking through the, the scientist. 
And, and the president of the United States is there communicating. He's having a conversation with this alien and the president says, can we live amicably? Can we live in peace with one another? And the alien through this man is standing there with this you know, tentacle around its, its throat and he, and he just whispers the, the words, no peace, right? And then, and then they, then they light them up, right? They shoot them, right? And then, and then it's like, yeah, I guess we're going to war, right? Because that's what we do. Uh, and, and so there's just this idea of like, no peace. We're not going to have any peace. You can't have peace. And, and how is it that Jesus, right? If Jesus were there instead of the president, how different would that conversation have gone, right? No, no, no. I am peace. I don't, I don't think Jesus would talk to aliens. Maybe he would. I don't know. All hypothetical. John chapter 14. This is so great. Jesus is about to die. Jesus is about to sacrifice his life on a cross and he knows this is about to happen. And he gets with his disciples and he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And so there's this turmoil, there's anxiety, there's strife, there's fear that's happening within the disciples. And Jesus shows up and says, do not let your hearts be troubled. My father's house has many rooms. And if that were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And if you really know me, you will know the Father as well. From now on, you do, not ha- you do not know him and have seen him. You do know him and have seen him. And then Philip then says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, that whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long the world will not see me anymore. But you have seen me because I live and also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. And whoever has commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. All right, so this whole thing, don't be troubled. Why? Because I am. Because I am Jesus and the Father and I are one and I'm gonna leave so that I can send my spirit Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, not the one who betrays Jesus said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and they will come to them 
and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Last little verse here of this section. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, when the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. And then this is what he says. This is the whole point of I just read all this. Peace I will leave with you. And peace I will give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So he starts off, don't be troubled. They're like, well, why? I think we should be troubled. And he's like, no, I'm in control of this. My father and I are one and we are in control. And I'm gonna give you the spirits so that you can have peace. I'm giving you the ultimate peace. I uh, just yesterday I got in the mail. We have, uh, I don't know, we get some mail from Focus on the Family. It's a ministry that um, focuses on the family. And, uh, and so we get, um, they're kind of like Highlights magazines. Do you remember those when you were a kid? It's like that, but it's like a Christian version of it. They're pretty good. Our kids like them. And, and it had five, five myths that can trash your holidays, right? And this is the idea of when we don't have peace. Uh, I thought it was, again, you know, I'm a pastor. I get in the mail, I'm like, oh, that'll preach. Myth number one, every holiday gathering with family is filled with peace and goodwill. Does anyone actually believe that? Is that a myth? I don't think that's a myth. Myth two, connecting during the holidays will compensate for disconnection throughout the year. <laughs> again, I don't, I don't think that's a myth. <laughs> myth number three, taking time out of the busyness for you and your spouse is selfish. No, I don't think that's a myth either. Myth number four, family gatherings should look like a scene from a Hallmark movie. Now that is, that is a myth. That is, that is amazing. Angela, when we were at that place, we kept saying, I feel like I'm in a Hallmark movie. And we were at that, because it just was like, like perfect Christmas. There were these two little girls that were like running and smiling. There's Christmas music playing. I was like, I think we're in a movie right now. Like it was just really, really kind of bizarre. Myth number five, you can take Christ out of Christmas. You can, but then you just have mass, which doesn't really work. Anyways, these ideas of, of these myths, right? That we have these expectations that aren't met, but Jesus says, no, I'm gonna give you peace. And if you grew up Catholic or you grew up Lutheran, uh, there's something that, that happens, right? This, this, this peace that God gives. Uh, but when you, if you grew up in a church that Catholic or Lutheran, right? What, what do they say? Churches, they stand up and they say what to one another? Peace be with you, peace be with you, right? And they kind of greet each other. And so I'm not gonna necessarily make you do that, but why is that? Why do churches do that? And it's actually really powerful because Jesus does that. That after Jesus dies, this is exactly what happens in John 14. He's saying, I'm gonna give you peace. And then he goes and he dies. And then he's risen from the dead. And you can imagine the disciples that they're freaking out. They're, they're, they think they're gonna be executed. They're in hiding. Uh, they're terrified for their own lives. There is no peace about what they're going through. Right? They're, they're all singing Hakuna Matata, you know, together. And there's just no peace. But then Jesus shows up. So this is John chapter 20. This is after Jesus ra is raised from the dead. And this is the first time he shows up to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I think it's remarkable that the first thing that Jesus says to his disciples after he's risen from the dead is peace be with you. I got to feel it's probably one of those like jump scare things too. Like they're all like freaking out. They're all huddled in the court. Doors are locked and Jesus kind of sneaks up, gets in the car. He goes, 
peace be with you. And like, ah, whoa. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them again and says, peace be with you. He says it three times in his uh, meetings with the disciples that he says, peace be with you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here in my hands and reach out your hand and put it to my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I want to just end here with a passage in Philippians about us. Again, we're, we're in this world where it's turmoil that we have expectations and maybe some anxiety that's building up over the holidays. And it's this white elephant gift. I want it to be a Hallmark movie and it's not gonna be a Hallmark movie. And we know that. But how can we in this world that is broken have peace? The apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter four, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for my joy and my crown, stand firm, Lord, in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia, Yoda, uh, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you have a peace that passes all understanding. That's how the King James says it. This peace that passeth all understanding. Right, that's this peace. It just transcends. It just doesn't make any sense. And I, as I was reading these verses, I immediately uh, thought back to when I was 14, when my father had passed away from cancer. And I remember though being around his his bed, and and with my family, and we're singing some hymns, and and we're just telling my dad, just go. Right, it's okay. You're you're frail. You're broken in this body that you're suffering. We're gonna be okay. Uh, and and but I remember I remember, and as as he died. We went into the living room. My family, my grandparents were there and my uncle, one of my uncles and, and, uh, and obviously my mom and brother and sister. And, and, and we started singing some hymns and I remember just this overwhelming peace. Just this sense of peace that just doesn't make any sense. Right, your dad just died. Uh, and instead of sobbing, it was a rejoiceful aspect. Uh, but I don't have to see him suffer anymore. I don't need to see that. And there's just this peace that transcends all understanding. And that is the only kind of peace that God can give. Uh, because the world, that doesn't make any sense. I should be anxious. I should be worried. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to... And instead, this peace 
that Christ gives in us for us in our times of need. I want to end with a, a, a Spurgeon quote. Now I'll actually quote him instead of uh, quoting him with the Lion King. And I want to just end with this quote and then leave us with a, a simple application when it comes to uh, our hearts, when it comes to peace. It is ever the Holy Spirit's work to turn our eyes away from self to Jesus. But Satan's work is just the opposite of this, right? Just, again, you're never more like Satan when you say mine. For he is constantly trying to make us regard ourselves instead of Christ. He insinuates your sins are too great for pardon. You have no faith. You do not repent enough. You will never be able to continue to the end. You have not the joy of his children. You have such a wavering hold of Jesus. All these are thoughts about self. And we shall never find comfort or assurance by looking within. But the Holy Spirit turns our eyes entirely away from self. He tells us that we are nothing, but that Christ is all in all. Remember, therefore, it is not your hold of Christ that saves you. It is Christ. It is not your joy in Christ that saves you. It is Christ. I'm okay in Jesus. The devil can say whatever he wants and he can bring his petitions to the Lord about how wicked of a human being I am. And God says he's okay because he's in Christ. It is not even faith in Christ, though that be the instrument. It is Christ's blood and merits. Therefore, look not so much on your hand with which thou art grasping Christ as to Christ. Look not to your hope, but to Jesus, the source of your hope. Look not to your faith, but to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. We shall never find happiness by looking at our prayers or doings or our feelings. It is what Jesus is, not what we are, that gives rest for the soul. And if we would at once overcome Satan and have peace with God, it must be by looking unto Jesus. Keep the eye simply on him. Let his death, his sufferings, his merits, his glories, his intercession be fresh upon your mind. When you wake in the morning, look to him. And when you lie down at night, look to him. Oh, let not your, let your, let not your hopes or fears come between you and Jesus. Follow hard after him and he will never fail you. And the hymn that we have sung many times, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When we think about peace, and we think about turmoil that we're gonna be part of and, and probably contribute to over this next month, that we would put our hope and our faith in Christ because it's only in Christ that we can find that peace, that peace that passes all understanding. So just a simple gospel application this morning. Are you coming to the Prince of Peace or seeking to have peace at all costs? There's a, an actual myth, a misnomer, that peace is somehow uh, tells me that I'm doing something right, that we pursue after peace so hard, and then if I feel peace about it, then it must be right. I'm going to get a divorce, but it's okay. I have peace about this, right? I'm going to go and I'm going to go do this thing, but I, no, God's given me peace about it. Right, Just because you have peace about something doesn't necessarily make it right. And we don't just pursue after peace, we pursue the prince of peace. And that should be our heart and our attitude. And again, not of anything that I can do, but what he has already done. And so this morning, what we get to do and what we do every week is we have communion. And we partake of these elements of the juice that represents the blood of Christ that was shed for us, the little wafer that represents his body that was broken for us. The prince of peace 
became peace for us, that he gives us and offers us that peace. And so we can viscerally taste and remember that he is good and he is the author and finisher of our faith and the prince of peace in our hearts and our mind, and we can find rest for our souls. And so as we partake of these elements to remember what it is that Christ did, all I would ask that you're a follower of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, I would love for you to be able to partake of these uh, elements with us as a family, as a follower of Jesus. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church for that matter. But if you're a follower of Jesus, we'd love for you to partake of these elements. And I read a lot of scripture today. Um, Maybe it was the first time hearing about the Prince of Peace and that I don't need to do anything. It's just faith in Christ because of what he's accomplished. Yes, that's the answer. And so we'd love for you to partake of these elements, even if it's your first Sunday of bowing the knee to King Jesus. So I'll have the worship team come up here. We'll sing a couple more songs. Um, and as we partake of these elements together, let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the Prince of Peace. And that you have sent your Son into this world uh, and he died for us and rose again on the third day, just as the scriptures said, that he ascended into the heavens so that we can have peace. And we live in this world right now, this fallen world where there is labor and toil and stress and anxiety and fear. But your son told us, do not be fearful. That we would look to him as our peace. And as we look at this incredible Advent season to think about Christ taking on flesh, that he came to give us peace, to be peace for us in a broken world. And that he can say peace and goodwill to all. So I pray now as we partake these elements that you would be honored, you'd be glorified, that our hearts would not be troubled uh, moving forward in this season and that you would get the honor and you would get the glory that is due your name. And it's in Jesus' most precious name that we pray.